Hello, this is Jamie Livingston and Hanako Gallagher, and we are Undecided Undecided California. California. We back, bitches! (laughs) Did you miss us? We say that like every time there's like a break. We're like, you miss us? We missed you. The 28 people that listen to our podcast probably missed us. Yeah, hopefully more. Let's see if we can grow that base. Yeah. Did I say 28? I meant 28,000 people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's the spirit. (laughs) So we were gone for a little bit. We took some time to refocus our goals. True. Yeah. We made a vision board. Yeah. We went camping. We had a retreat. We got lost in the woods. For a minute. For a minute. Hanago got us out of it. We were eaten alive by mosquitoes. It was all good fun. True. True. Yeah. So what are we covering today, Hanako? Today we're going to talk about some state senate races. Yeah. Not all of them because there's 40? 20. 20. There's, sta- there's 40 state senate districts, but there's 20 that are running this year. Okay. And they're the even ones. Yeah. So what does a state senator do? So a state senator, if you'll recall from our what do our elected officials do episode... <laughs> Um, they, I mean, they're basically elected to represent us. So there's 40 Senate districts, and depending where you are, you're represented by a certain district number, and that person is part of the state legislature, which works kind of like the, the, um, national legislature. The federal? Yeah, that one. Yeah. It works kind of like the federal legislature. Um, so you probably heard of U.S. senators. It's very similar to California state senators. So they vote on... What kind of stuff would they vote on, Jimmy? The same stuff that the state assembly votes on. They're basically the same as the state assembly. They just have larger districts and they have longer terms. Another thing that makes them different is that they are a part of the upper house of the legislative branch, while the state assembly is part of the lower house. Okay. Yeah, that's the main difference. So we are covering two races on this podcast today. We're covering District 12 and 32. Why we picked these races in particular is that they're kind of interesting, and they're the only ones that responded to our request for interviews. (laughs) Yeah. That's not the main reason why we're covering them, though. No, we picked them. We picked three races, and then we contacted each of the two candidates for each race, and three candidates in total got back to us. One of them had to cancel their interview, so we only got two interviews down. But we will give you a fair and equal portrait of all the candidates running in District 12 and District 32. Yep. Yep. So exciting. So we did reach out to all parties involved. Just want to make that clear. So we're, if someone didn't get back to us and we're not like showing as much of their opinions and their side of the race as possible, it's because they did not want to be on our podcast <laughs> or never got back to us. Yeah. Yeah. It's not for lack of trying. We reached out for a couple weeks and I was very annoying and no one responded. Well, some people did. Okay, so how this is going to be broken down is we're going to talk about District 12 first and District uh, 32 next. And we're going to talk about why we picked this race, the candidates involved in this race, and then we will cover the interview we conducted with one of the candidates. And we'll show clips of that. And then we'll give our 
response of what the other candidate might have said to those issues brought up by the candidate that was interviewed. And then we will end it with a summary of what we believe to be true or like what we think are the strengths or weaknesses of this candidate or yeah. of this race. Trying to give you a fair picture of both people and kind of the pros and cons of each side. Yeah. So let's jump into it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so first, how California primaries work. It's kind of more complicated. Not more complicated, but it's different from the rest of the United States. Yes. Except for Washington. So Hanukkah is going to explain that to us. So in California, for our elected officials, we have what's called a top two primary system. So during the primary election, which we had in June this year, voters could vote for any one candidate they want, regardless of the party of that candidate. And then whatever two candidates in the primary got the most votes, those two candidates will proceed to the general election. So we could have two Democrats in the general election or two Republicans. And then none of the other parties. So this basically eliminates smaller parties such as Libertarian and Green parties. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So the first race we're covering, as I mentioned, is District 12. And um, I was in charge of looking at all the state senate races, so I'm going to be giving you the overview of why I thought this race was interesting. So the two candidates that are moving on to the general election in District 12 are Anna Caballero and Rob Poitras. P-O-Y- T-H-R-E-S-S. Poitras. Anyways, so Anna Carbiero secured her general election spot with 41% of the vote and got the most out of any candidate running in the primary, while Rob came in second after Anna with 26% of the vote. Even though a Democrat came up top in the primary, Republicans collectively received a larger percentage of the vote, with two Republican candidates receiving 50.46% of the vote. Well, the two Democratic candidates received 49.54% of the vote. Okay. So less than a percent difference between the two. So it's a very tight race. So assuming the people that voted Republican in the primary continue to vote Republican, then Portress would win. Yes, but that's such a small difference. So how the district is broken up is that uh, of the registered voters, 46% are Democrats. Um, registered as as Democrats, 28% are registered as Republicans, and then 20% are no party preference. Now, these no party preference, depending on where they are in the state, can mean that they are secretly like green voters that are super liberal on a bunch of social issues, but maybe more fiscally conservative, or they're just like really intense right wing that are very libertarian and more conservative than even Republicans. But that depends on where your district is. So that can either be a good thing for Democrats or a good thing for Republicans. There's no party preference voters. This district also went for Hillary in 2016 by 20 points, which is pretty intense. True. Yep. Yeah, and in terms of geography, this is kind of Salinas Valley and then a little bit of Central Valley. So it's not too far from the Bay Area, but it's mostly agricultural. It's Central California. It's very agricultural-based. Yes. So the first candidate we're going to be covering is the one we didn't interview. We reached out to Rob for an interview and his campaign manager set one up. And then an hour and a half before the interview was, they called canceling it. Yeah. 
Yeah, and we never got it rescheduled, unfortunately. Not for lack of trying. Anyways, he is the Republican candidate. He, again, received 26% of the vote. Rob is serving his first term as Madera County Supervisor. Prior to his election to the board, Rob served three terms on Madera City Council and was Madera's first elected mayor. That's cool. He and his brother own a local farm that grows almonds, and together they are partners in Techco Hardware, small business that sells products to local farmers. Rob has served as both manager and vice president of the Citizens Business Bank. Cool. Yep. His endorsements include Congressman Jeff Dunham, who is in a contentious race right now against Josh Harder. Yeah. So that's Rob Poitras. Cool. Okay, so Anna is a Democratic candidate for the Senate District 12 race. She went to UCLA Law School, and then she worked as an attorney in the Salinas area, providing low-cost legal services for farm workers. Um, She also founded a nonprofit, which works to reduce youth violence in California. And in terms of her political background, she's currently a state assembly member and has been for about eight years. Before that, she was on Salinas City Council. She was the mayor of Salinas. And she was also appointed to Governor Brown's cabinet as Secretary of the Business, Consumer Services, and Housing Agency. Um, yes. So she has a pretty extensive political background. She does. She is all over the place. She is local and statewide. Yeah. Damn, girl. Look at you go. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so we did interview Anna. And these are some clips we have from the interview. All right, so we started by asking her about just what led her into politics and this campaign in particular. Working in a company-owned town really um, motivated me to get involved uh, in going to law school and involved in politics because I saw the importance of organizing and getting people to work together in order to make the change that you you want to see happen. And so I moved to Salinas thinking I'd be living there for a few years and working there. And I fell in love with the community because there was so much opportunity to um, to make change and to really impact people. I, I got my first job was working at California Rural Legal Assistance where I was working with farm workers. And we ended up starting our own law practice um, and continuing that, that work. And during that time, looking around to figure out how we could impact the the uh, political infrastructure of the city, the school districts and the city, and realized that there was real need for um, democratic activism. Um, And so we organized the Democratic Club and started asking people to run, to volunteer to be on commissions and to run for political office. And that's kind of how I I ended up in politics. It, It had to do with crosswalks and streetlights and development that was going on in the neighborhood and starting to organize people and realizing that we were showing up in front of city council meetings so much that we, that they, they finally said, why don't you run for city council? Because at least we'd have somebody on the council that's listening to us and that's concerned about our issues. I first was on the planning commission and then I ended up on the Salina city council as the first Latina and, um, and then eventually ran for mayor and the first female mayor ever in the, in the city's history and uh, led the city through some really, really tough, difficult times. And part of what I realized as we were going through those tough times is that actions that were taken by our legislators in Sacramento were impacting cities tremendously and making it much more difficult for 
for us to meet the needs of our residents. And so that's how I ended up running for the state assembly because I, I really wanted to um, take my local government experience and, and have it make a difference in, in Sacramento. And then the second question we asked her was, what has uniquely prepared her for the position as state senator? And so a big part of what I've spent my years doing is grassroots organizing. And that means going door to door, talking to people about what the issues are, asking them what things they're concerned about. Because when you do that, what you find out is that people are concerned about the potholes and the crosswalks and the streetlights, all the things that got me involved in politics. And then once they understand all of that, they're concerned about the budget, they're concerned about their kids' education, um, what tuition costs, the, the kinds of things that impact their daily life. How long does it take them to, to get a driver's license at the DMV? And, um, and the more that they know about it, the better and the easier my job is. So, so what prepared me was walking, going door to door, and organizing people to get out and vote not only for me, but for other people, and uh, and then actually talking to people and finding out what their issues are and translating that into action. More recently, I was hired by the governor to um, serve as, as a cabinet member. And so I've had the opportunity to travel all over the state uh, on behalf of the governor and to work on issues that are critically important, whether it was drought release during the drought, whether it was affordable housing, development, uh, whether it was licensing individuals. Uh, I've just done a number of things that have been, um, that have given me a really unique perspective. And then finally, we talked about what she thinks the biggest issues are facing District 12 in particular. The the district is, is primarily a rural agricultural district. And there's a real sense that rural California is falling further and further behind economically the rest of the state. So that in many ways, there, there, the, uh, there are those that live in big, big urban centers, and then there's rural California that feels like, like it's, it's really difficult. It, it, the poverty is very high, um, and, and people are concerned about uh, access to health care, um, good access or access to a good education, um, workforce preparation because um, it, it, you don't get the same kind of jobs in, in a, a rural setting. So a lot of the kids are growing up and, and going away to college and not coming back because there, there aren't the job opportunities in rural California. And and because the urban areas are not providing the housing that they should, um, those the, the blue-collar workers for those communities are moving into rural California and they're pushing out um, rural residents. They can afford to to uh, a little higher rent or a little bigger house. And so we're, we're suffering the impact of all of that. And so that's, that's a big issue that, um, that, that we've got to um, figure out how to create an opportunity for, for residents in rural California to, to make earn better salary and, and to feel like they can compete with the, with the urban, urban centers. So that's number one. But the other is water. And uh, having just come off a, off the drought um, and and looking down the barrel of maybe continued drought, there are a whole bunch of issues around water. One of which is uh, we need to we need to store more water for the for the drought years. Um, there there are over a million people that are being served contaminated water, and um, I think there are something like three hundred and 
90 water districts that are serving contaminated water, we've got to fix that because they're mostly rural, poor residents. Um, and and all part all of that is um, is is putting. We're also looking at groundwater groundwater and groundwater storage, and that's going to put a tremendous tremendous pressure on agriculture. And so there are some in agricultural think, thinking, you know, we're, we may not be around um, in a few years if we don't solve our water supply issue. So water is a big, huge issue in rural California, and the Water Board just took some action recently that's created great conflict because um, it, we two-thirds of Californians depend on water coming through the Delta. So that's... Um, close to 30 million people that rely on Delta water and that's all in Northern California. So how are we going to, are we going to grow and continue to provide water? And, and it's, it's not just agriculture, but it's, it's also the urban areas. In terms of a third issue, I have to say it's immigration. Immigrants have long understood that there are, there's tension around undocumented workers and communities that are struggling with, kids that are afraid of going to school. I participated in a number of town hall meetings in the district over the past year, and I've had numerous children, young kids, come up to me and say, I'm afraid to go to school because I'm afraid my parents will be taken away while I'm, while I'm at school. And those are real fears. And there is produce, produce that is being left in the field because there are no workers to do the harvest. That's very expensive. It means that the the farmers have invested a, all of the energy to grow a product and then can't get it out of the field because it's perishable and there's no one to, no one to pick it. And um, that's not sustainable. That, that's, it's, not a, it's not something that, that you can afford to do very long. So immigration is really having a tremendous, tremendous impact on, on our, our rural communities. So returning to Poitras, Anna discussed a lot of her issues in terms of like economic disadvantage and clean water and immigration were her top three issues. Poitras, I think, would agree with her on conservation of water. They both, I mean, it's a huge issue in agricultural communities is availability of water. So I don't think they're going to really differ that much on that opinion. When I looked at um, Rob's uh, issues on his campaign website, he does mention um, need for more conservation of water to improve the agricultural co- economy. But he also talks a lot about reducing taxes and keeping Prop 13 in place, which I doubt Anna's trying to get rid of. <laughs> right. Yeah. Talking on economic issues, he didn't really seem to have a lot of opinions on that besides reducing taxes for small businesses. Like, he was big on reducing taxes. Like, he talks about that for, like, three issues. All right. But he doesn't really seem to have any policies in place for how he would tackle that once in office. Okay. Which would have been nice to talk to him about. I know. Yeah, I would have liked to hear his opinion. So, yeah, what are your opinions on the race as a whole? I think Anna is clearly more established in a political sense, and she has a pretty impressive sort of resume in terms of what she's actually done for for farm workers and for disadvantaged youth populations too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, she yeah, she's currently in the state legislature, so she's kind of already in the position that she's running for. Yeah, she's a state assembly leader, right? Yeah. 
I have to agree. I think she was excellent during our interview. She seemed really on top of it. And she we asked her for like three issues and she gave us like five. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, I have all these issues. And we're like, oh, okay. But yeah, I think it's also hard because we didn't have a chance to talk to Rob. True. And this might have like swayed me either way to be more partial to him or more partial to her. But I think her career alone indicates that she is for the community and she is here to really help her district in particular. She's not just running to be on the state Senate. She was doing it because she wants to represent her district, which I think is really key. Yeah. But I mean, Poitras's career doesn't really indicate anything different. I think she just has more experience and she's been doing this, like basically her whole career has been devoted to um, helping her, the Salinas community. Yeah. Yeah. And she has a law degree. Like, she could be working somewhere that's more, you know, lucrative than, like, a farm-working community. Yeah. But she's chosen to dedicate herself to that, which I think says something about her character. Especially because those loans aren't no joke. (laughs) Yeah. So she really could have, like, found a way to pay them off faster, probably. But she did the moral thing. And she found, and she, like, is an immigrant to the community. Like, she didn't grow up there. She came there and fell in love with it. Right. Yeah. Which you could argue either way if you want someone who's born and raised there versus someone who moved there. But I mean, I think it depends on how much you do for the community. And not being someone who was raised there but still giving back to the community, I think, in my opinion, shows a great devotion mm-hmm. to her community. Is Poitras native to that area? Um, It didn't say. But he's also had a long-standing... Um, relationship with the community he owns a farm there with his brother so it didn't indicate whether it was inherited or not so okay yeah all right so moving on to district 32 i will talk again about why we picked this race (laughs) yes why why 32 why 32 okay so this seat was actually vacated by tony mendoza uh, who was a democrat in february of this year which is led to a runoff for a special election to be held in August. However, the candidate who wins the special election will only hold the office for three months before the winner of the general election takes over. So it's kind of like, why? Yeah. Or why wasn't this held earlier? Because Cause the seat's been empty for several months now. For like 10 months. Yeah. It's kind of ridiculous. Not 10 months, six months. For, yeah. February to August, which is kind of ridiculous. And then they're like, oh, but you're only going to have it for three months? Eh. It's either like, I mean, I don't want to say not have representation, but why not have it sooner? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Anyways, so, oh yeah. (laughs) The reason Senator Mendoza resigned from the California State Senate was, as to quote the LA Times, Rather than face expulsion by his colleagues after an independent investigation concluded that he most likely engaged in a pattern of sexual misconduct involving six women, four of whom worked in his office over the course of a decade. Mm. Guys, Me Too knows no bounds. (laughs) He has no race, no party affiliation, no age. Yay, being a woman. (laughs) Not just me too, it's like me six for him. <laughs> it's me everyone. <laughs> me half the population. Anyway. Also, he ran in the special election he to did. refill his seat. He did run in the special election. 
without the consent of the California Democratic Party. Yeah. What? Kevin DeLone was like, you need to get out of here. Yeah. I'd be like, you need to get out of here. And he was like, this is an attack. Yeah. Real special guy. Anyways. <laughs> so Rita Topalian, who is a Republican, won both the special election primary and the regular primary for the general election. While the Democrat vote was split between Barb Echuleta, who will be moving on to the general election this November, and Vanessa Delgado, who will appear on the special election ballot in August. So it's a little bit confusing. It's a little confusing. So the Republican candidate is moving forward to both both elections, which she mentions a couple of times during her interview. Barb Echuleta, who is her opponent in the November election, is not going to appear on the ballot in August. Another interesting point about this race, eight Democrats in total ran for the primary in June, encompassing 65% of the vote, while only two Republican candidates appeared on the ballot, collectively receiving 34% of the vote. So if less Democrats ran, probably it could have been two Democrats on the ballot. But because there were so many Democrats running, it split up the vote so severely. Right. Yeah. Which is... Kind of an issue with two top two primary system, especially when it's not like ranked voting, which gets into this whole other sphere of how American democracy doesn't really make much sense. So this district went for Clinton in 2016 in the presidential election by 29 points and has more than twice as many registered Democrats as it does Republicans, but also has 23.99% of voters are or no party preference. So who is Barb Archuleta, Hanukkah? Well, I must admit, it was difficult to get a lot of information on this man. Um, first of all, I don't think he responded to us at all for no, an interview. he didn't respond anytime I reached out. So, Bob, hit us up. <laughs> but, yeah, he, he is a Democratic candidate. He grew up in the LA area, and then he enlisted in the Army for five years and came back to work for the Montebello Police Department. Okay. He also has been a member of the Pico Rivera City Council since 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's heavily involved in veterans affairs. So he was on the LA County... He was the LA County Commissioner of Military Veterans Affairs. Okay. And various other veteran-related boards. And yeah, one of his main sort of platform points is protecting veterans, especially in terms of homelessness and like infrastructure. All right. That's good. Yeah. Cool. Which is kind of interesting. I heard him called a Republican Democrat because not a lot of Democrats are, like, heavily pushing veterans' issues. Yeah, which is something that the Democrats could definitely work on. Yeah. You know, we're all for veterans. The VA hospital system is a complete wreck. Yeah. Like, it needs to be dealt with. These people fought for our country. But anyways, so my candidate was Rita Topalian. She is the Republican running in this race, even though it could be two Democrats. There doesn't have to be a Republican. She is is a Republican, I should say. Um, Her bio includes that she was a small business owner for most of her life in some capacity or another, and she currently owns her own practice in Whittier, California. She's married and the mother of three kids. We'll go more into her bio once we cover her interview. So we did get an interview with Rita. She was actually the first person to respond to me. So, go Rita. (laughs) Anyways, so here is her interview. 
First, we asked her to tell us a little bit about herself and her career up until this point. I'm qualified because I think having a legal background helps me understand a little bit of the legislation better than most. Um, I'm qualified because I don't need this job and I'm doing it because I want to do it and want to give back. I've been very fortunate in my life. I wasn't born here. I was born in a, a work camp, labor camp in Germany. And we came here with my family when I was five. So it was through this great country, and I believe it's a great country, that I was able to do what I did. I think one of my strongest traits is that I don't give up that easily. I, mean, I, I when I decided I wanted to go to law school, much to my husband's chagrin, I went to law school. And I was uh, 44 when I finally... Uh, started my practice. So about every five to ten years I'm reinventing myself and, and uh, I've, I've gone, I, I haven't taken the easy road in anything. Yeah, you've had an incredible story. That is insane. Wow. Uh- I know. <laughs> but you know what, when I was doing it, it, I wasn't, I didn't feel insane. When I sit down now and talk about it, it seems like, it seems crazy even to me. But um, all I remember and don't ask me why, because my parents didn't come from an academic background. All I wanted to do was go to school. And that was like a burning desire. And and my, my husband would always say, I don't understand why you're doing it. You make such good money as a hairdresser. I was I was very uh, successful. I had, uh, I had to, I wish I told you, I had a beauty shop that I opened up without working for anybody. We just, okay, we're going to do this on our own. And we did it. So... I guess I'm not afraid to plunge in. In fact, that's my MO. Mm-hmm. I plunge in, and I figure out how to take care of the problem. Then we asked her about what she thinks the three major issues are for her district and how she will tackle them once elected into office. Well, one, one thing that I hear over and over again is the gas tax increase, because that actually ends up being a regressive tax. The lower your income level is, the higher the bite is. And, you know, I read somewhere, and studies are so funny, because you can kind of mold them a little bit, not a lot, but you can mold them. And one study said that for the average family of four, it's going to cost $779.24, something like that, and how they get these numbers. But let's assume that is true. Uh, if someone, uh, there's a family of four living on, It's not my money to spend, and it's not government's money to spend. It's 
she kind of goes on a bit of a tangent and talks about her relationship with taxes as a small business owner in Southern California. Epiphany, maybe 30, 40 years ago, I was doing the billing for our rubbish company, and um, I, I was going through the bills, and I opened up one that was from the city of Los Angeles, and it was, they were taxing me for the employees I had in the city. Per employee tax, that like blew my mind away. I kept thinking, oh my gosh, I'm providing a job for somebody, and I'm going to get taxed on it. Uh, it was She also speaks on Prop 13 and talks about how she wants to protect it. With what they're chipping away at, they want to take the commercial properties that, that are under this, and they're saying, well, it's commercial property. Why should commercial property get a break? But, for instance, I'm an apartment owner, and we're good landlords. We're decent landlords. We take care of problems right away, and, and we're not slumlords. However, uh, if they raise this on us, and for us to maintain the same uh, ratio, because that is our pension. My husband and I are self-employed. Our pension are, is the apartment unit. Well, if they raise my uh, my uh, property taxes, I'm going to go to the tenants. And again, it's regressive because these people are the ones that can least afford the rent hike. Attack on top 13, you're going to see it. Uh, what was happening in the late 60s before this was enacted, uh, older people that are living on Social Security and barely eking out an existence now being thrown out of their houses or being forced to sell because of the uh, escalating property taxes, property taxes. So that's another one I'm really adamant about. We also asked her about her campaign strategy in a predominantly Democratic district. You won the primary with a pretty significant margin, 24 to 17%. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. How do you plan to sustain that energy in a predominantly Democratic district? Um, you know, that's, that's an excellent question, and it's one that we're grappling with uh, in, um, in the campaign. Um, we're doing, we're, we're really focusing and, and kind of targeting small niches of people. Uh, that's the best that I can say. The other thing that I'm, I'm getting a lot of, I'm getting a lot of Democrats that are saying we're sick of all of them. Everybody, they're sick of everybody, and maybe we just need to scratch, scratch the whole thing and turn all over. So, uh, I we are trying to do any, everything that we can, and um, short of negative campaigning, that that um, I find uh, objectionable. Mm-hmm. I don't need to. I don't need to do the negative stuff. This district is more conservative than people think. And that's where I think I'm going to have a chance in capturing the vote. But I don't know. We'll see. You know, mm-hmm. We'll see. No one knows what's going to happen. Finally, we asked her why she believes she's uniquely qualified for this position. Yes, all the, all the uh, work that I've done. Uh, I worked for Senator Bob Marguerite for 14 years when he was both in the Senate and, and in the assembly, so I, I, I get it as far as how government works, uh, or most of government. Some of the, some of the things that uh, we think work are really challenging to understand, but uh, I, I believe for the same reason I said before, I, I'm a person that will take the high road uh, many times, 
on getting the job done and not keeping a job, which is very common for politicians. I've had a lot of life experience that I'm bringing to the table. Being older, that counts for something, the life experience, versus someone that's really very young and is still growing. Yeah, still growing. So I think I would make a good public servant. Now we can go into how David Archuleta responds. Yeah, there's not a lot of information about his platform online. But in terms of housing prices and um, renters, which Rita was concerned about, on his Voters Edge page, he calls for the repeal of something called Costa-Hawkins, which was a 1995 act that limits how much power cities have in terms of enforcing rent control. So I think Rita would probably be in support of Costa-Hawkins because um, cities don't have as much power over, like, landlords. Um, But Archuleta called for the repeal of this act. Okay, so that's a differing point for them. Yes, the only differing point I could have. (laughs) All right. Okay, so Rita talks about Prop 13 and how there's a new bill coming out that is chipping away at some of its protections, and she talks about it in particular being a landlord and how it'll affect her renters. She's talking about Voter Signature Initiative 17-005, which, first of all, is a voter initiative. That means it's not going to be addressed by the state legislative branch at all. So she would have no say over this. So she would have no way to protect against it either. So it's coming through the legislative process by the voters. Okay. Second of all, it does not affect renters in any way, shape, or form. Renters and property owners, residential property owners, still have the same protections under Prop 13 under this bill. And third of all, she talks about it hurting small businesses. It would not affect businesses with 50 employees, full-time employees, or under. So it's really supposed to target, like, mega corporations such as Apple, Google, Warner Brothers, Universal, those huge, huge corporations that own, like, land from the 1950s and are paying property taxes at the 1970 level. Okay. Yeah. So Rita's personal businesses would not be affected by this? No, none of her businesses would be affected by it in any shape or form. It's a little troubling that she was not aware of that. No. (laughs) No. From what I could tell from her, our conversation with her, that's what she was talking about, and she didn't seem to understand what she was referencing completely, and I wanted to, like, correct her because... We want to keep you guys informed and understanding what people are actually talking about. It's like, it's fair to say like, oh, I want to protect Prop 13 and everything it stands for. And I'd want to make sure nothing happens to it. But talking about a specific piece of legislation and having information that's incorrect about it, we we can't let that go unadjusted. Right. So I just want to make that very clear. Overall, I think she's very personable and she has a great backstory, but she seemed a little bit weak on the issues. We asked her for three issues in total, and she gave us only one. And then I, we cut this part out, but I had to like pressure her for a second issue, and that's when she talked about Prop 13. So she seems just really focused on taxation and not many other issues, especially concerning her district. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think in fairness to Rita, we did criticize her because she, we spent a lot of time talking to her. So we have a lot of points that we can go off of. 
But for Bob, we just don't have as much information. Yeah. Then again, like, we don't really have any information on Bob, and he's pretty weak in the, in the, like, the policy issues as well. He doesn't seem to have that many talking points. No. Like, for example, somebody asked him in an interview how he's different from his opponent, and he just said he had less campaign funding and that he's going to bring leadership to this district. That's not a difference. <laughs> so. That's not a difference. Was, yeah. I don't know. I wish we could have talked to him because I would have liked to ask him more about that. But Yeah. I think it's unfair and fair. It's, a, it's, just, it's unfair to only have one side of the campaign, but we if we reach out as many times as we did, we can't, you know, there's not much we can do. Yeah. Yeah. I think just for you guys, we would have liked to have both sides on the issues. Yeah. And also, if he's, like, this unresponsive now, is he going to be responsive to the people that he represents? If he gets elected. Where you at, Bob? Where you at, Bob? Where you at, Bob? We should have DM'd him on Instagram. <laughs> I don't think he has an Instagram. <laughs> I found his Instagram, but yeah. maybe an intern made it. Oh, know. yeah. But anyways, I liked Rita. I liked her as a person. I just differ with her on some of her issues, and I think she needs to work a little bit more on her policy by now and August and now and November. Yeah. I think if she's going to use, if part of her argument is that she's older and more experienced, then like she needs to know the facts about the yeah. policies that she's talking about. It was a weak moment to talk about Prop 13. <laughs> but also this is like voter signature initiative 170055 is the reason I started this podcast. So it's a little like awkward to talk about that to me because I'm like, I know a lot about this. I read this bill several times. So I, I know it pretty back to front. I even found the passage where it says, Preserve in every way Proposition 13's protections for homeowners and for rental residential properties. This measure only affects assessment of taxable commercial and industrial real property. So, really says that. Word for word. Okay. <laughs> Just bugs me. Yeah, I'm not overly impressed with either of these two candidates. I'm not either. I, I don't know how I'd vote if I had to vote in this election. No. I would be like, Vanessa Delgado, please come back. <laughs> I don't even know anything about her. No, I don't. Like, but... Yeah, but I'd be like, Vanessa, come be our third option. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of why the top two primary system may not be the best. But yeah, these candidates also won in their district, and that might make it different for them. You know? But anyways. So yeah, that's our opinions. Yeah. Yeah. As always, if you want to know more about the candidates, or we're going to cover a third race on our website, so you can go read about that. Yes, at undecidedcalifornia.com. Also, yo, we started a Patreon. <laughs> so if you pledge a dollar per episode, that's like $4 a month. That's like one coffee per month. Yeah. So buy us all our caffeine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we need a lot of caffeine to keep this going. To be clear, the money's not going towards coffee. No, the money would be going towards things such as, like, in case we wanted to go down and interview a candidate in person, you would pay for transportation costs and housing costs. If you want to see us grow, do us a favor. Yeah, and just, it would allow us, us to put more time into this project, because if it's making money, it's something. We don't have to focus on making money in other ways. Yeah. And we'll shout you out on an episode. Yeah. Giving you the best information possible. Shout out to my mom. <laughs> Thanks, mom. <laughs> anyway, like always, follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at 
Undecided CA. Do it. Please. Please. Tell your friends. And next week, we will be covering propositions again, guys. Yay! <laughs> I will be covering Proposition 10, which is ambulance workers. And I'll be covering one about dialysis workers. I think it's eight. Proposition 8. Uh, and we'll have a guest, hopefully, to talk about dialysis, too. Yes. I'm excited to interview someone who's not a politician. That would be nice. Yeah. Well, Helen Hutchinson wasn't a politician. That's true. She was cool. I enjoyed talking to her. She was I dope. mean, not that I don't enjoy our other interviews, but it's just, it's a certain kind of interview when they're trying to get their message out. Yes. That is very true. Thank you for listening. Bye. See you next time.